0: So let's just quickly review, let's rewind, and we're going to go back to week one where we kind of opened the series and we just talked in particular about just this perspective thing. Like a lot of times the the problem with money is not, money's not so much the problem, it's our perspective, how we look at it. And we, one of the big things that really popped out and really has hit me hard is this idea of uh, first world problems. Remember we talked about first world problems, you know, I was on a plane, I'm flying you know, and, and I lose Wi-Fi, <laughs> that's a first world problem, you know, I started complaining, you know, I'm, at thir- I'm, I'm in a chair in the air at 30,000 feet, and all I can think about is the fact that I don't have Wi-Fi, you know, that's like one half of 1% of the world is ever going to have that kind of a problem, that's a first world problem, so sometimes we're, we, we don't realize, we don't have perspective that we're, we're blessed, and then the second week, uh, Pastor Deitch, you did a phenomenal job talking about kind of... Uh, The money trap, uh, or what we would refer to as the deceitfulness of riches, that they can kind of like, they can bind and blind us, uh, corrupt and kind of infiltrate our thinking, and sometimes we can find ourselves, you know, going after the wrong things, going after the tickets, the stack as in his illustration, and in the end, we don't really get what we were looking for. We, it's like the U2 song. We still haven't found what we're looking for. And uh, third week, last week, we we gave a missions update. So, but we wrapped it into our series. We basically sh- kind of revealed to you what you did last year with our missions giving. We take a portion of our total revenues. Um, estimated going to be a little over 12% of our total revenues this year, was given to certain mission partners. So we don't just kind of scatter seed, we sow seed in rows. We strategically give to certain organizations going deep and far with people to... To to, uh, have the most impact or the most influence for the kingdom of God. And as a, if you're a frequent flyer of Connect and you contribute, if you're a a family member and you're a committed giver to this church, it's one of those services that we all love because we get to see, you know, what happened, not only just what happened here locally with our giving, you know, to keep this thing all running and doing what we're doing here on a regular basis, but see beyond, you know, in our community, in, in 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 our nation and in our world, to think that we're participating at that level is phenomenal. And so we talked about how the greatest investment on earth we can make is in the local church because it's affecting eternity. Can I have an amen? Amen. And then today we're going to talk, we're going to pull another thing from this key text, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, another thing that really popped out at me when I was preparing for this particular message. Uh, The series has all been about kind of generosity and giving, but let's look at this text again where the Apostle Paul writes a letter to Timothy who's pastoring a young church. So this is really a letter to a pastor to tell his people, okay? So we can put this in our context. This is what I'm supposed to tell you, all right? This is what I'm supposed to tell you. It applies to me as a saint, but it's what I'm supposed to tell you as an equipper of the saints. First Timothy 6.17 says, following with me, everybody, command those who are rich, everybody say, that's us, that's me, Command those who are rich, that's people who have more than they need, that's, that's anybody with $35,000 a year in household income is in the top 1% of the world in income earners, so that's us. Uh, command those who are rich in this present world, we talked about that last week. That if Paul is highlighting there's a present world, then there must be a, a non-present world. There's another world. There's something else that we should be considering and investing in. And we learned that there's another, we, another world to invest in. He says, this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now we, looking at the scriptures, but sometimes not in our life, realize that people go after wealth and sometimes lose their health. Sometimes people go after all the things of the world, and then they. Luke 9.25 says you can gain the whole world and yet still lose your soul. So, so Paul is, is instructing Timothy to tell the people, tell them, be careful, be careful, but to put their hope in God. Everybody say, the best place to put my hope is God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this particular portion. We could do a whole message on this too, but God is okay with you being blessed, He's okay with you enjoying things. He's okay with you having things as long as they don't have you or, and ultimately, as a result, steal your joy. So God's okay with that. And so there's been erroneous teaching for centuries. Way back, this is a little egg-headed here, but monasticism where you know we 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 pull away from the world and all the things of the world, and it's that's where that's where you get the, the monk-like living, and we go up into the mountains and we live by ourselves and we isolate ourselves and we deny ourselves everything and all the amenities of this world. That's taking it too far. To modern day, there's things this this teaching is permeating the South and the Southern Church right now called asceticism, where people are again doing some of the same things, like just saying you gotta suffer for Jesus. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to be blessed. And it's an aberrant um, overcompensation for this excessive prosperity message that's out there, you know, it, giving to get and, and trying to have, you know, a, a, this, this, this disease of acquire. And so people go too far the other way when God is okay with you having other loves as long as he's your first love. Can I have a better amen? Because this, this is this is to this help some people out, like... So, so there's some things that you can enjoy. You just got to make sure they don't steal your joy. They don't take what's most important. And those are kingdom values that we'll be talking about today. So God has given you things for your enjoyment. So then he goes on. He says, command them, who's them? That's us, to do good, to be rich. That means rich people need to learn how to be rich. We don't sometimes know how to do it well. Be rich in good deeds and to be generous. And here's the key word, willing. Circle, underline, Blow that up. Willing to share. That's kind of today's idea. I was arrested by this word, but this word really refers to, it's not a, I have to do it. It's an, I want to do it. Paul is, the apostle Paul through Timothy is saying, I want to appeal to not their need, not their obligation, not their duty, but their desire to give, to be willing to share. I, I was a principal of a Christian school. My wife is currently the principal of the school now, but I did it for like 14 years, and I used to have to discipline kids. I actually love kids, don't really enjoy disciplining kids, but I had to do it, you know? And so I can remember telling kids in the crowd, you know, I'd be doing chapel services with five to 12-year-olds in this room. That's how I learned how to be a public speaker was chapel. And and these kids sometimes wouldn't sit down. I'd say, sit down. They wouldn't sit down. I'd say, sit down. You know, how many know they'd sit down because they were a little bit scared, right? (laughs) But how many also know they were standing up on the inside? You know what I mean? So sometimes... Sometimes people are they do what you say, but it's not from their heart. So, so God doesn't just want our obedience, He wants our submission to that. He wants our willingness, and that's what I'm appealing to this morning in this teaching. Is God wants things from our heart, He wants us to want to, and as a result, people who do it this way, He says, This in this way, they that do it. This way will lay up treasures for themselves. You're going to be blessed in this life as a firm foundation in the coming age. It becomes an investment, as we talked about last week, so that they may take hold of life that is really life. People who really give this way are really living in this life. Really giving is really living, okay? That's what God is trying to teach us through his word here. It changes you. But most people don't sometimes see, especially church, in that way. Now, this wasn't all my experience, but some of my experience growing up. i got to be careful. My daddy's in the house. But some of my experience growing up in church, you know, it's kind of like they had the have-to's. Do you know what I mean by the have-to's? Like, you just you go because you're scared you're going to get in trouble. In my case, it could be with my parents, but it could have been with God, too, because you just felt like you're falling away, you're falling short. You know, even deep down, sometimes you've had this if you grew up in the church at all. How many grew up in the church? Okay, so usually about 50%. This, this service is a little less than the last... Um, but you, you went because you were afraid you might go to hell. You know, that's how they say it in, in, in the South. It's a two syllable word, hail. You know what I mean? So there's just that deep down fear. So you knew there were things you were supposed to do, but you actually didn't want to do them, but because of the alternative, you did them. That's not in the Bible. That's not, that's not the motivation that he has for us in following God. In fact, one of the things my daddy taught me when I was growing up is that, just related to giving, for example, is that there, there, in the first story, basically, in the book of Genesis, there's the story about the, the, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, when you eat from this, it's a get-to, it's a want-to. Your tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's a have-to, it's a got-to, okay? So with giving, what my father would teach me is it's not an obligation. That's over here, tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's an opportunity. It's, it's not a legal thing, it's a lifestyle thing. It's not a debt I owe, it's a seed I sow. Praying is a privilege OK, praying is it's not a it's just not a have to. It's a privilege. When I read my Bible, it's not a rule book. It's a road map. It's not something to prevent or or to restrict me. It's to protect me. It's all how you look at it. Which tree are you eating from? Which motivation? And if you don't have that motivation right in the beginning, you'll end up in the wrong place at the end. This, this is good preaching, brother. Pray, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, so I believe that kind of motivation is is really imperative for us as Christ followers. Let me show you another scripture that that talks about two things here related to this. Philippians 2.13, look in your notes. It says, God is is working in you to make you. So God's trying to shape you, fashion you, change you from the inside out. Two things, not just one, okay? He's trying to make you willing and able to obey him. Willing submitted, the right attitude, the right, the, the motivation is right. God doesn't want you to just do it because he said so. He wants you to want to do it. He wants you to want to do it. Have you ever asked somebody to do something or has anybody ever done something for you and you know somebody told them to do it? Like, does that feel good? You're like, keep it, bro. Like, hold on, have it, keep it. I don't want that from you. You know what I mean? So, so, if, so instead of, ha- since we don't have a religion, tree of life, I mean, a tree of knowledge of good and evil, we have a relationship, tree of life, since that's a personal thing, is it possible when we're not giving willingly that it's affecting him personally and our relationship with him? That makes it got quiet on that point, but it's still... Helpful. I don't know if that made sense to you, but God wants us to do it because we want to. Otherwise, maybe it's not working. Maybe it's not affecting and fulfilling its purpose. The number one thing you'll hopefully discover today is that God isn't looking to see you just did something, but that you did something from the right heart. And if you're visiting today, this is a great service for you to visit because this is kind of a bedrock value of, of our church today. The whole experience doesn't, that we're having today it doesn't come from the, the have-tos. It comes from the want-tos. The get-tos, you know, and I want to appeal to your willingness. There's a scripture in 1 Chronicles, our next text in our notes, 1 Chronicles 29. Let me give you a little context for this, okay? Um, Historians record this story and and basically say that the largest single sum offering that was ever given was given in this particular story. The biggest offering that could ever be given was given during this particular text of Scripture. And basically what's going on here is the nation of Israel is... um for, for, for a long time, has been a mobile church, okay? They set up, they tear down. They set up, they tear down, okay? Our sister church, Life Song, 10 years ago was, was one, a church like that. For over six years, set up, tear down in a movie theater, set up, tear down in a movie theater. Now they're in a permanent home because of the, the commitment and the sacrifices of many. They were able to build a building and have a beautiful home and a beautiful church where God's name can abide on a permanent level. But David, years ago, was in his palace, and he went out on his portico, his, his porch, and he's looking around and he sees, he sees this tent where God's, You know, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was, it's kind of like God on location, but he sees him in a tent and he's in this beautiful palace and he's like, something came over his heart and he's just like, this can't be like this. How can I have more and not do more? And God has less. I need to do something about that. So he decided, he felt like he had a a burden, a vision to build God a house, build a, a house where a permanent location where they could have church. And so he also decided to lead from the front. How many know good leaders lead from the front? They don't ask you to do something they're not willing or won't do themselves. And so David did that. He gets this burden from God. He decides to give to that vision. And get this, he gives a massive sacrificial offering. Now, David was a wealthy man, so but the translators, if you were to kind of put it into modern money, uh, he gave $21 billion dollars. The building and establishment of this temple. In 1 Corinthians 29, verse 3, and I'm going to read some other verses that might not be in your notes, but this is from the New King James Version. Here's what it says David speaking, moreover, You never see that in any other translation but King James. Moreover, nobody's going to be saying that at at coffee and lunch today. Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, it's modernized modernized this. If David was a Twitter follower, that would say, hashtag I love my church. That's what basically he just said right there. Okay, So because I've set my affection on the house of my God, because I love my church, I've given to the house of my God over and above. Uh, So that means he was a giver, but he gave above what he normally gives, and this is where he gave the $21 billion, okay, from his own money. All that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. Then he asks this question that I had to ask myself, and 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 I ask you to ask yourself. Now, David says, who else is willing, 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 ring, 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 to consecrate himself to the Lord? David is saying, I love God, I love my church, I think it's the best investment on earth, as we talked about last week, I love touching people's lives, changing people's lives through the local church, Ephesians 3.10 says we should do that, and I love meeting needs and giving Jesus, but who else does? And this is what they said, watch their response, because he led from the, the front, they didn't just, they weren't just taught, they caught something. See, I think if the motivation is right, you're not just informed, you're transformed. I think if the motivation right, you don't just receive something, you know, on an intellectual level, you get something on a heart level. And this is what happened. The leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders, this is verse 6 through 9 in case you're interested. And the commanders of hundreds and officials in charge of the king's work gave they all gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple. And then later, it talks about how they gave. And on the bottom, it says in verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of the leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And then in verse 17, later on, it says, David speaking, it says that all these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. So isn't it interesting that the single biggest offering ever was preceded by not obedience, but willingness. See, it was a hard thing. It was a hard thing. So how do we condition our heart to get to a place where we're willing. That's kind of what we want to talk about a little bit today. I believe giving should be one of the highest joys of your Christian experience, not one of the things we dread and uh, and just kind of duck and bob and weave on. If if, if, we're, if it's not the highest joy, then, then maybe when we do do it, it's not really working or fulfilling its purpose. It's supposed to be something that, that's filled with joy and excitement. Now, I'm not saying that once in a while I've, I've given, and there's times where I've gone to give, and I'm like crying and laughing in the same step. Do you know what I mean? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, ah, you know, it's like you're crying and laughing. Ah, oh, oh, you know, it's a little bit of both. That's okay. But the ash of it, when it's done, when you, when you committed to it, it's, it's a joy. I look back at some of the things my wife and I, you know, pr- got to participate in. And I say, it was a blessing. It was a, not a have to, but a get to. And I just, I just look at it with joy when I come into the house of God. I want to look at other things that we've been able to be a part of. Let me show you an example of this in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Now, I believe scripture is axiomatic, which means if, it's, if it says this on this side, if you flip it, 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 should, it, should, it should have another side to it that's basically saying kind of the opposite. So if the gift is acceptable when the willingness is there, then maybe the gift isn't acceptable if the willingness isn't there, okay? So you can just think about that for your own doctrine and your own theology, but I'm just saying to you that God isn't watching so much what you give, but the heart behind what you give. All right? And here's the big idea, okay? You got to sometimes, you got to think, and this is absolutely critical, I believe, to every part of our Christian experience, but we have to remind ourselves not just what we're doing, but why we're doing what we're doing. And here's your big idea. When you lose your why, you will lose your way. When you lose your why, that motivator, you can lose your way. When you forget why you love a person, you go astray in the relationship with that person. The heart grows yonder, not, not grows fonder. If you lose your why, you know, I don't, if I focus on the behavior for and with my wife, my heart will go yonder. If I focus on loving my wife as Christ loved the church, my heart grows fonder. Does that make sense? The motivation is love. I don't get, oh, don't commit adultery. Oh, don't look at that girl. She's really hot. Oh, no, no, no. What, 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 what? No, I just focus on love, Stacy. All right? It's a, so, so recently, we just celebrated our 24-year anniversary, okay? Last Monday. Praise God. Yes. Woo! And I, I was away on our anniversary, okay? But before you judge me, before you judge me, judge me, we celebrated a week before, okay? But I put a card. I put a card for her when, when I left, and I wrote 24 reasons why I love, love, love Stacy, all right? Some of you are thinking that probably took you three days. No, it took me, like, just a couple of minutes, okay? But while I was going through that... When I got to the end of it, I was like, I really love my wife. Like, look at this. It reminded me, when I, when, I, when I focused on the why, it made me more in love with who I was in love with. Does that make sense? But if you lose your why, you lose your way in the process. And God wants to do the same thing in your relationship with giving. And so these things I'm going to give you are not, are not why you should give. I'm not going to emphasize the what you should give. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to emphasize why I give. I'm going to tell you why I give. And maybe it will stir your heart to find reasons and connect with reasons and to find that, that motivator, that cheerful giver, giver, that willingness so that you don't lose your way when you give. Here's why I give. Number one, this is just me, I value obedience. Obedience, okay? I don't feel obligated to obey. I love to obey. All right? And again, some of this goes back to that tree of life thing and tree of knowledge of good. you got to get a right perspective on it. I don't see God as trying to, you know, browbeat me and he's sitting up on the throne like Abraham Lincoln, you know. Like some people think God's like that, you know, or Zeus with, an, with a you know, lightning bolt. He can't wait to bust my chops. No, I think, I think God wants to engage me. He wants to be in relationship with me. And so when he says in his word, give us this day our daily bread, I think of it like I think about going to the refrigerator every day, which I have no problem doing. To feed and nourish my, he's like, I want to feed and I want to nourish you. So I love to get in his word and to spend time with him. When the Bible says, don't forsake the assemblies of the saints, even more as the day of the Lord approaches, I don't look as going to church, like I have to go to church, I have to go to church. I talked to a guy after the first service and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'd be better if I could be here every day. I was like, yeah, baby. That's the kind of thing you want to hear, but that's the attitude, because I love to be in the house of my God. I don't see it as an obligation. I just see it as an awesome experience to be able to celebrate and rejoice and receive the word and grow and make sure my behaviors are altered and they, don't, they stay on course, and I make sure I'm focused on the most important things, and eternity is my destiny, and I see that when I come to church. Can I have an amen? amen. And so when Jesus says some things to me, that just settles it for me. Does that you get that? If Jesus says some things to me, that should settle it for you too. So if he says you should or you ought to, it's not because he's trying to control you. He's trying to save you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to build you. All right? The Bible talks about tough stuff with giving. It talks about tithing. Jesus, with his own words, New Testament, red letter edition, you can look it up on your own. Matthew 23, 23 tells us we ought to tithe. One translation says you should, depending on which one you're looking at. I, this is how I am. I'm, I'm, call me naive. Call me naive, but are simple. I just think if Jesus said you should do something, that's it. So I don't want to spend all my time debating and arguing and, well, that's, you know, the Old Testament, Old Testament, and that's under the law, and that's under grace, and, and there's this, and this scripture over there. What about that scripture over there? It just says you shouldn't do this. Listen, Jesus said it. Pfft, that settles it. It settles it for me. I just, I love to obey God's word, and I don't get caught up in that. I give because the one who gave his life for me told me to, and that settles it for me. And so I'm not going to spend my life and my time trying to alter the word of God to the generation in which I live. I'm going to go ahead and follow God's word to a T to the end, which I don't believe is very far away. Can I have an amen? All right. Number two. Another reason I give is because it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's a blast to give. Sometimes it's a little like, (laughs) I understand that, but there's a lot of fun to it. Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, he said it, you're more blessed to what? Give than to receive. It's it's just, you're going to be happier when you give, okay? So when you're living for giving, you're really, really living. My neighborhood When you come into, it's just called Davis Farm, the street you come into, and it's all these cul-de-sacs, and just just a great neighborhood for kids to grow up. And when you come in the first street, I think it's like third house on the left, you know the family, honey, but there's these little girls there, and they always have a, a lemonade stand at certain times of the year, all right? this lemonade stand, and I'm just going to be honest and be transparent, don't judge me, but you can go by their house and get to our neighborhood this way, or you can take the first right and not go by them and go around them, okay? So a couple times I went by them. I just took the right, I took the right, and because I just didn't want to, I just don't want to stop at the lemonade stand, I don't want to see their faces when they see me drive by, and I'm going to feel like so awful, and so I just, yeah, that's what I did, All right, And I can remember taking the right and I I I I could almost hear them there, he took the right, he took the right, <sighs> so this one time, so this one time, I decide I'm going by him, and, and, and but I'm an, but I couldn't stop. I mean, I couldn't drive by him. I had to stop. So I stop. I pull up. Oh my gosh, the excitement on these kids' face! He pulled over. Ooh, you know they're going crazy. So I get out of the car. They're selling lemonade. It's all watered down. It's not even cold anymore. You know they were like playing with the dog. Hey, 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 it's just the setup, and I'm that I'm that kind of person. I notice all that kind of stuff. And so I come over and like, how much for the you know for the lemonade? You know, trying to be nice. They go, fifty cents. I'm like, fifty cents for a Dixie cup of that you know, diluted water <laughs> warmed by the sun for 17 hours. Oh, I'd love to have some, sure. And so so, so I all I have is a dollar. So they're kind of looking at me like, so? <laughs> we don't have change. There's no change. I'm on their first customer, maybe they're last, I don't know. So I said, just give me two. I'll take one home to Stacy, I'll take one home to my wife. They're like, two, two. So I give them the doll. they're so excited. They pour the lemonade, their thumbs in the lemonade thing while they're pouring it. (laughs) Rover juice all over it, you know what I mean? Awesome, pour me a second cup, can't wait. So I take the two lemonade cups, I go over to my car, I get in the car and I look out the rear view mirror and they are doing cartwheels. And mom, mom, he gave us the doll. He gave us the second dollar to tip us and they're just going crazy. Can I tell you something, that felt good. That was so fun to give. Now, I poured both cups out when I, before I got home, but it was still fun. It was still fun. It was still, it's a joy to give. Can I have an amen? I could talk about that a lot. Um, I, I, number three, number three, I'm in covenant. Here's another reason I give, because I'm in covenant with you, with my church. This is just why I give, okay? I'm in covenant with you. My wife and I have determined we can't give to everything and everyone, everyone's mission work, everyone's situation, every function, every initiative, every drive, but we say yes to connect. To everything we possibly can, we say yes again. If there's a fundraiser for the youth, we give to it. This turkey's gonna be, you know, we're gonna buy tur- we buy turkeys. We, we, we're all in on that. I can't remember, I don't know how many turkeys we bought. More turkeys than I'll ever eat in my life. We gave them all away. It was awesome. I, whatever it is, we're all in because we're in covenant with connect. You, you, there's something that happens when you come in covenant with somebody. I don't know how to explain it, but, but it changes you, you know? And I just want you to know something from me to you. I've never been more devoted to the pastoring of this church and more committed and more covenant with church than I am as I stand here right here today. Yes. Just want you to know that. And if you'll have me, I'll pastor this church until <laughs> Jesus comes back, okay? Unless, unless God says something else, all right? <laughs> But, I, but here, I wrote this down. I've given up and I've taken up certain things for a God thing. I've, I've said no to certain things so I can say yes to other things that I think are God things for our church. And so I've given up what might be good for me sometimes to do what's best for you. And I did the same thing, you know, when I committed to my wife. I said no to certain things so I could have the blessing of being with one thing, one person for the rest of my life. I believe there's something powerful when you come in covenant. Here's the fourth reason. I believe, and this is why I give, because I believe in our vision. I believe that my giving with your giving is really doing something that makes a difference. Sometimes when we think of it singularly, we think it has low impact. Sometimes when we don't join with others, it doesn't have a great impact. But when we do, it makes a difference. Together, everyone accomplishes more, as you know. And I see the differences making in people's lives. I love Watching or, or just knowing you know, that, that the, the contributions we're making to our church are affecting generations. Do you understand you're a part of a church where the founder was a pastor, the, the present pastor you know is the son of that pastor, and then I have a son that's also going is a pastor on, in, in, in this team. You know we have three generations that's because of covenant, that's because of the vision of this church that's because of giving that's been happening generationally. I get to see now generations of young people, you know, just seeing what's happened in the five and activate and connect kids. Just hundreds and hundreds of kids being affected because our giving is making that possible. I rarely have to say no. I can say yes to that generation. And I love that our vision is about that. I love that a portion of our giving is planting churches. My son will be asking me for money after service. Uh, that's what he just said. I guarantee I didn't even hear him, but I already know what he said. I, I love knowing that a portion of our giving is for the establishment of new churches. Do you know that we're part of an organization that's planted 545 churches in America today? And now they're on a rate of one every five days. A church like Connect that you love is being planted all over America every five days. That's awesome. I love our vision. I absolutely love that. I love knowing that last year, one of our mission partners, we give 1% of our total budget to One Hope. I was just with them uh, this last week at a partners meeting for the, what's known as the Kids Bible App. So let me explain this to you. The Kids Bible App, you, you look at version. Many of you use that in church today. version and One Hope partnered to create a Kids Bible App so that kids could, en- could engage God's Word even if they were illiterate. It's a meta-narrative. It's the most... Uh, innovative way to engage the world. And they've, they've discovered that kids, even who are illiterate, have access to the web. And so these kids are able, it's amazing in these impoverished areas, still to get access. It's crazy. And so they've been able to reach millions and millions of kids through this mechanism. The Kids Bible app is the number one kid's app, not Bible or Christian app, the number one kid's app on iTunes right now. You, as a church, contributed $25,000 to sponsor one of the stories that just last month had 9 million downloads. That means your giving to your local church through the tithe, a portion of that went out and was leveraged to reach 9 million kids with God's word. I could tell you more, but that's just one of the things. I love the vision of our church. I love that it can go broad like that and still affect... 20 homeless guys in Framingham that don't have jackets and boots and clothing. Just yesterday, that was just happening yesterday. I love that we reach our community. I love that our church gives everything away. People don't come in here and you buy coffee and you buy CDs. You guys pay for that. We just give it away. And so we just steward well and fiercely protect the finances. I love giving... Money. Almost every year for several years, we, we, we create a little slush fund, a little surplus. So our giving is very strategic, but there's a little bit of bumper so that if, if something presented to us, you know, like a need, in particular, I always try to look out for pastors because I think if you can, if you can, struggling pastors in, in, in the area, particularly church planners. And I remember last year just being able to bless some people that were struggling and didn't even know how they were going to get through Christmas, how they're going to pay their rent and different things like that. And, and we wrote some checks from Connect Community Church to be able to bless some churches and some leaders it's awesome I'm talking about some honking checks you know what I mean about honking checks like bless some people when they show up and that's and I just love the vision of our church to be able to do that oh I could talk all day so this this is why I say this because you can make a splash on your own you can make a wave with everybody else and that's really what's going on here number five I want God's blessing everybody say blessing you can position yourself to be, to be blessed. God is okay with you being blessed. God's word promises in Malachi 3, you can look it up on your own, 8 through 11, that, that when you are faithful to return to him what is already his, he will open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing on you that you can't even handle by yourself. And then he says, not only that, but when you feel, and I think many people feel this way, this is why I encourage people to, to be percentage givers, many, but you, you know what it's like, many of you, probably a large percentage of you in this room know what it's like to have more bills at the end of the month than money. The Bible says, and I've chosen to believe it, and this is why I give, that he will, God will rebuke the devourer for my sake and protect all that is mine. So I get provision and protection when I give the way God says, That's what it says. And it's Old Testament, but it works in the New Testament context as well. And so I strongly encourage you to follow God's word. It'll put blessing on your life. He wants you to be blessed in every way. Number six, I want to be an example. Everybody say example. Example. Everything you do is is kind of under observation, let's just say. I don't know if you ever think about this, but one day you're going to... This is going to sound morbid, but you're going to, I'll just say you're going to be 90 years old one day and you're going to look back and wonder what people are going to say about you. What will they say about you when you're 90? What are they going to say about you at your funeral? What's going to be written on your epitaph? A lot of times we don't want to think about that, but it's wisdom to think about that. See, people are watching you and they're characterizing you. People are talk, will talk about you then. The truth is they're actually talking about you now. Yes, sir. You, you have, you've been characterized by certain people consciously or unconsciously. What are people saying about you or what will they say about you? If you think about that, it might influence the way you live your life now. You might, you know, I was journaling different things that I want people to say about me at my funeral. It sounds more, but I think it's very, very wise to do so. I'll give you two of them that I wrote. One of them was, I want to be known as a man of character. I don't want to be known as a skilled, talented person. I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. When I say character, I don't mean perfect. I just mean when the pressure comes on, does the right thing, that people trust the heart of God in in me as a man. I do, under pressure, implications, consequences, whatever, just do the right thing. A man of care. I want to be known by that. I want that to be said of me. Not just then, but now. The, The second thing, and I could do a whole bunch on that, but the second thing is I want to be known as a person who's generous. I want it to be like a default you know, it, it, with, again, within certain boundaries, but like if it comes within the connect world, if it comes within my jurisdiction and influence or sphere or whatever, I want people to think, go ask PD, he's, I, know, I know what he's gonna say. He's gonna say yes. He's gonna say yes. Uh, my kids think that. My kids, my kids think we go out to eat, there's just total security that dad's gonna pay for everything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's just the way it is. You know what I mean? I can remember, it, it, it started because I was an example early in their life. I remember when the kids were growing up because we were raised in the church. They'd play church. I have four kids. they play church. <laughs> so they get out of church and they play church. we drive by the church and say, when are we going to go to church? Like, their whole world was church. It was awesome. And anyway, I can remember Mallory was kind of leading the service in the bedroom, you know, and Morgan and Madison, you know, sitting on the edge of the bed. You guys sit right here. You're the choir. And then Mallory's leading in praise and worship. You know what I mean? I don't know where Devin was. I think he skipped church that day. And then... Uh, <laughs> He's come around. He's coming around. But uh, I can remember listening in, and Maui's leading worship songs, and they're singing this one song, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high. And there's a point where it goes, you know, you came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my dad, you'll pay. And my daughter sang, you came from heaven to earth to show the way, you, from the earth to the cross, my dad will pay. <laughs> See, because I was an example. Okay, that's my point. All right, so... You guys get that. Number seven, Number seven. this is a personal one. I give out a devotion. I give out a devotion, okay? This is the personal part. Remember how I said there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil and there's the tree of life? Do you understand that you're going to face the bread of life? You know who that is? That's Jesus, the life giver. One day, we're going to stand before God and we're going to be face to face with Jesus. So we'll have these different encounters with him, but it's going to be something like this. And if you don't agree with this, just this is my, my view. Please don't take it away from me. But I believe I'm going to get before, I'm going to be before God one day, whatever, past certain pearly gates, talk to some people, things like that. And there's going to be a day where I'm going to see Jesus, and I'm going to lock eyes with him, and Jesus is going to lock eyes with me. And I think when that happens, I get emotional thinking about it. I think when that happens, I'm going to want to say a bunch of stuff to him. Like, I, I, I know, and I should have, and I could have. And, you know, and, and he's going to be like, Psh! It's okay, okay, hey, Derek, wait a second. I want to say something to you. This is, what I li- this is why I give. This is the motivation. He's going to say, Derek, that's what I want him to say. I pray with all my heart that I can get something like this. Good job. Good job. You did a good job, son. You took, you took your talents and you used them for me. You could have sang on The Voice. You would have been famous, but you used them for me. You took... You took your time, and you, you poured into people and important things. You took your treasure, and you gave, and, and you're faithful to give. I gave you those good looks, and you used them really, really well. I don't know why you guys are laughing. It's not that funny. And, and you, you know, I gave you that incredible church. I gave you this incredible people around you. You, you did a good job. Well done. See, I'm living for the well-done son. That's why I give. You need a motivation for why you give. Because you're going to stand before him and what did you do with what I gave you? I want that. Well done. Good job. Way to go. You're stinking sweet. Awesome. Way to go. So let me give you some filters real quick. So, so there's the why, all right? But now how, though? You've got to have some practical to all this. What does that look like? And this is so, it's really pretty simple. It's not complicated. It doesn't take hours to try to translate. But I, again, I'm not appealing to emotion. I'm appealing to motivation. But we need to know how to do it right, okay? So here's, here's how I give. I give intentionally. Stacey and I give intentionally okay? 2 Corinthians 9 talks about this sowing and reaping. If you sow, you know, sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. And then he goes on to say, each of you should give what you have decided. Everybody say decided. Decided. Circle that. It's a big word. Some people misinterpret this scripture, but basically what it's saying is this is telling you before the need shows up, before the hunger video Before the compelling communicator tries to pull you in, you should pre-decide what you're going to give. You need to be intentional with your resources and determine that, in fact, in advance. So you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not this Scrooge-like thing, or under compulsion because of somebody in my profession abusing their license and privilege and creating some sense of urgency and stirring people to do something compulsive or reactive or whatever. I hate all that stuff, but it's reality. It's happened. But God loves a cheerful giver. Then he says something interesting to the predeciders who respond to God from the heart. He says, you... Editorially, the predeciders will be made rich in every way. More comes to this group, in other words. People that do this, that pre-decide or intentionally giving, more comes to them. I talked to a guy just last week, and he's a predetermined giver. He is a intentional percentage giver, and he decided to increase his giving even more last year, but he wasn't a first fruits giver, a proportionate or percentage giver, became one, and his income increased by 50%, and now he even gives more. That's just how. I can introduce you to him. I might even have him come up here. It says, more comes to this group so that you can be generous on every occasion, and And then through this group, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That word, thanksgiving to God, translates in people will be found in heaven. In other words, dollars will translate into souls. So powerful. So you should be intentional. Why is this so important? Why are you telling me this? Because statistically in America today, the people who give uh, intentionally, people who give intentionally are people with the smallest incomes. It's crazy. It's sad. But this should be something we do not as a business transaction, but as a worship experience. And I would encourage you to talk to God, not me, talk to God, talk to your spouse if you're married, and determine, predetermine a set amount. That's why we don't, we don't, take, we don't pass a plate because we're not, and I'm not saying you, should, you have to do it this way. It's just how we do it. Maybe we won't always do it this way. But what we're trying to condition is our heart to be predetermined, planned, predecided, intentional givers. That's why we do it the way we do it. Because we don't want people to guilt give, tip God, oh yeah, that's right, I reactive God, leftover God. No, we want people to do it from their heart. They come to bring it as an offering to God, as an expression of worship and love and affection for God. Does that make sense? Yes. That's why we do it that way. Number two, I give proportionately, okay? There's a story of the widow's mite. Now, this, this is what happened in this particular story. Jesus goes to church, and he sits down, and people are bringing their offering, and it's like there was an offering box, like th- like we don't have a plate. There's a box at the back. Jesus sits right by the connection box at the back. So imagine this. Imagine Jesus coming to church. This would be a little awkward. And you're going out, and some of you don't have an offering, and you just walk by, and Jesus goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And some of you put a check in, and it's kind of small, and throwing a couple, mm-hmm, I don't know, something like that. But it was kind. Of, it must have been awkward. Jesus shows up at church, and he's watching all of them give, and he says this. He says, uh, many rich people threw in large amounts, to which Jesus was not impressed, by the way, with those large amounts. We'll see it in a second. But a poor widow came and put in two small coins. Translate it. Trust me on this. It's just like a, like a, like a day's wage. It was a very small amount. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in More. To which when I first read that, I'm like, no, she didn't. The rich people put in more. But that's because Jesus doesn't look at the zeros at the end. He looks at the amount in proportion to what she has and says, that person gave more and so he goes on to say, so he wasn't looking at the amount he, to her income because it was more in relation to her income. that she, That's why she put in more. And he says, he put, she put it into the treasury. Than all, she put in more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. That means not she was poor, but her dependence on God, her trust in God. It's a divine poverty. And he put in every, she put in everything, all she had to live on. This clearly means that percentage giving or proportionate giving matters to God but instead giving in proportion we should be giving in proportion to our income so a lot of people like i said earlier where people have less are giving more in america today people have more are giving less that's because the heart thing's not right so as our income has gone up stacy and i give more right. and you know what it circumcises my heart and it keeps me trusting god it keeps me in that willing state in that submitted state when i do so Say, I know that's hard. That's why you have to find your reasons why you give so you don't lose your way on giving in the first place. That's what I'm trying to say. So I think it's tragic. I think as we get more, we should give more. I think it's sad that we don't. So I want to encourage you as rich people that you have more, you should give more. Last point, final point. This is the big one. How you should give is eternally, eternally. First Corinthians tells us if a man builds on a foundation using gold, silver, stones, wood, hay, straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to the light. This is just another way of saying you're going to do certain things, work hard, build, you know, kind of boast in certain things you have, but it won't last. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work or you could say each man's giving. If what he has built survives, survives what? Forever. Eternity then he will receive his reward, okay? So some things we do are not gonna have an eternal reward to them because they don't have eternity connected to them. Let me say it like this. Some things we do in giving, there's social justice, but social justice without eternal justice is not actual justice in God's eyes. Oh, I don't know if you got what I just said, but it's a huge, huge point. In other words, a lot of people, you know, you can clothe, and you can feed, and you can put shelter, and you can do a lot of different things. I'm not saying those aren't good. I'm just saying it's not God's best. God wants us to give them eternity. So we need to clothe people in Jesus' name. We need to feed people in Jesus' name. We need to plant churches in Jesus' name. We need to give them a turkey and invite them to church. In other words, everything needs to be connected to eternal justice, or it isn't justice at all. Amen? Amen. Once you stand on your feet? I want to pray for you. (laughs) <laughs> I get passionate about this. I got to settle down. Thank you, Lord. Would you just close your eyes for a second as we, as we just pray and, and allow the Holy Spirit kind of to speak to you. I want you to close your eyes and focus on your willingness, your heart. We have this incredible tendency as Christ follows. Every eye closed, if you wouldn't mind, just honoring the person to your right or to your left, please, unless you're taking care of a small child. Just just give people that, that space. There's this tendency for us, uh, and me too, to hear something and not, and not do anything about it. To not respond. I want to encourage you to respond. If this is a struggle or like a stronghold for you, you might need prayer today. Like my, my willingness is just not there. I'm afraid or I'm whatever it is. Maybe you need prayer for that. You need to find why you give. You need to find your why so you don't lose your way. But in order for you to go forward, maybe you're here today and you can't even think about eternal justice. You can't even think about proportionate and intentional giving because you need to give something else to God first because he gave everything for you first. You need to give your life to Jesus. Like you need to have eternal life before you can have all these eternal blessings and be a part of this incredible thing, you know, where we get to invest all we have into him. He gave everything he had so he could be in relationship with you. And If you're here today and you've never Done that you've never made that connection I'm not talking about last week you did it. I'm talking about today you've never done it now is the day of salvation and you want to know Christ personally I'm just going to pray for you right where you are and if you're listening online you respond as well would you just raise your hand and say that's me I want to know Christ before I leave I want to I want to make sure that my eternal security is established God bless you good and high don't be don't be afraid be courageous thank you thank you I see all those hands right there that's awesome yes sir thank you thank you sir that's awesome Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you for your courage. Those of you who raise your hand, you can put your hand down. And those of you that are with me today in spirit, would you pray this prayer with me, everybody? Would you just say, this is, this is such an important prayer. Just say it from your heart. Say, Jesus, save me. The Bible says that those that call upon the name of the Lord be saved. Say, just call, say I call on Jesus to save me. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you do what your word says. You make them a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. They're a new person. It comes from the inside out. This isn't a religion. It's a relationship, and it starts because they called on Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that 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 thing begin to grow, that the voice of God would not be the voice of the stranger anymore. They know your voice, and they begin to respond to it as well. They become followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, not just hearers of the word, but doers. I thank you in Jesus' name for every person that said yes to God. And for those that are here, I pray, Lord, that they would just find the why in their giving and that they would be intentional, that they would see what God says about proportionality. They'd see what God says about the eternal consequence of our giving. In your precious name, I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap? Come on, let's give him our best.